the kindergarten uh, was drawing in, her, in their class and was working very fervently uh, as the teacher had given the assignment to uh, draw a picture of what was important to them. And so as little Johnny was laboring over his drawing, everyone else was finished and handed in their drawing, but this little fella kept on working. And so the teacher was kind of curious and just kind of walked over to where uh, the student was and put her arm around his shoulder and said, Johnny, what are you drawing? And he said, well, without looking up, he said, I'm drawing God. Well, Johnny, no one knows what God looks like. Well, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> and so we are many times trying to draw a picture of God and you probably have some picture of something uh, in your own heart and mind uh, if asked, well, what does God look like? Um, the problem C.S. Lewis had said in, in one of his books is this. He says, we want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. Senile, benevolent, who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves. And whose plan for the universe was simply that it might truly be said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. Sometimes that's how we want to see God, as this, this one who just makes your life good and happy. It's really important that we go to the Bible to teach us who God is. We, we learned last week, as we're looking at this truth series, to know that the most important aspect of learning what truth is and knowing where truth comes from, and that is a revelation from God. And so we looked at last week the truth about God's Word. And so today I want to just talk about the truth about God the Father. Lord willing, we're going to talk about God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, You see the various topics uh, that are on the front of your your bulletin that we'll be talking about, uh, of what truth is and what it states about these issues. And so uh, after you come to terms with the revelation of God in His Word, the next important thing is, well, who is God? God the Father, what is He like? It determines who we are. When we know more of who God is. In fact, it has been said this last week. We will not believe more than we know. And we will not live higher than our beliefs. We will not believe more than we know. And we will not live higher than our beliefs. So your faith is closely tied to what you know. And what you know is going to be very closely tied to what you comprehend and understand from his revelation. For that reason, I want to preach verse by verse. One of the goals is that you know more of who God is and that you trust him more week by week after going through God's word. And that's why we must have God's word in our life and read it and understand it and know it. Uh, is, is about a matter of how we live and who we trust. So, what is God like? I, I want us to turn the Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is a somewhat concentrated form of God's revelation and his conversation with Moses. Uh, there as he encounters Moses and commissions him. Uh, this is, of course, where the uh, burning bush comes into play. God was uh, speaking using a burning bush to get Moses' attention. God is not the burning bush, Okay. Uh, nor is he some little boy there at the burning bush. Uh, some of you watched one of the latest movies, and, and God is portrayed, I think, in Gods and Kings, that movie, as this little boy. 
that has a British accent. Um, and so uh, that's the problem when you try to put some image up, you invariably get it wrong. Uh, and so let's see what the scripture actually says as we read Exodus chapter 3. Uh, verse 13 through 16, and just understand, as, as Moses is having this encounter uh, with God, uh, Moses is a fairly old man. He's, uh, well, close to 80 uh, at this point. Uh, he tried to redeem God's people on his own and ended up just becoming a murderer. Uh, he spent 40 years out. He has his own life. He's got a wife. Uh, has uh, a son. He's, he's a farmer. He's a shepherder. Uh, but yet God intervenes and speaks, and it's been about 400 years uh, since there's been a hearing from God's word uh, at this time. So this strikes Moses and would strike anyone as an extremely precious and rare. And so let's uh, read this together. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and focusing through 16. And let's stand as we read this together, honoring God's word. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, and notice your translation probably should have it capitalized, the Lord, all of it, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. You may be seated. So this is the revelation that God has chosen. And he says, furthermore, this is the name that I'm going to be known throughout all generations, including our generation. God wants us to know him as the I am, uh, the, the Jehovah. Uh, that When you see those all caps, Lord, uh, it is to be distinguished, our English is to be di- distinguishing the Hebrew form of that, of saying this is the unique Yahweh name uh, that God has chosen for himself, uh, given here first in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, it's not the first time actually Yahweh was used, but it's the one where God uh, says, remember me by this. And so this was significant. You can imagine Moses going back to Egypt, going back to these people and saying, you know, I'm being sent, I'm being commissioned, I need to be able to tell them who is commissioning me. And so he's asking for authority. Uh, When I'm going to speak to them on behalf of you, give me some sense of authority who you are. I'm going to be your ambassador. And so that's how God reveals himself uh, through this way. And so when he gives this I am, this Jehovah, he's speaking about his nature, his, how he operates, not only Moses' day, but how he wants to operate today and how he will operate today and tomorrow. Uh, and so he says this, this phrase, I am that I am. We've got this uh, saying that's come out in the last two, three years. Uh, I hear it every once in a while in interviews. I hear it every once in a while someone will say it. It's this little phrase. It is what it is. All right? It is, what, what does that mean? 
I've been trying to do a little personal uh, research. What does that mean? It, well, it is what it is. <laughs> and usually, someone is saying, there's no further investigation needed. I'm not going to concern myself trying to figure it out. I'm just going to take it as it is. It's unchangeable. And I'm just going to go from here and deal with it. It's kind of the saying. Or it could mean I could care less. And you have to kind of choose which one they mean. Uh, but it's, it's saying it is what it is. And so we hear that a lot. But, you know, it, the original form of it came right here. Where God says, I am what I am. It's one thing for us to say it is what it is. But it's another thing to say, God say, I am what I am. Deal with it. You adjust to me. It, I am unchangeable. The circumstances are not unchangeable. They are not always is what it is. All right? But God is the unchangeable one. And so he's making this, this first statement. So what, one of the first observations I would want you to understand is, is this. God is self-existence. When he says, I am what I am, what we can learn from this and understand from Scripture, when we think about who is God the Father, first he is the, the self-existent one. As uh, philosophy people would say, he is the unmoved mover. He is the uncaused causer. He is the reason for anything being. So, if we want to talk science, when we talk about creationism, when we talk about uh, evolution, and, and, and the question that always comes through, and it must be, if you are sitting in class and you're thinking through this, the question you must ask is, how is it that anything exists? How does anything exist? Not, let's not talk about how it comes about and the process, whether evolutionary or some other process, scientific, biological, but how is it that anything exists at all? And what you're going to come to terms with, regardless of what approach you take, is that at the end, it's all a faith proposition. Some people say, well, I don't live by faith. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you're living with a scientific approach, at some point, science and observation can only take you so far, and you still have that question, how does anything exist? And science can't take you there. So you're left with, a faith proposition that you're just guessing that there might be some evidence that points to this conclusion. So whether you deal with an evolutionary perspective or a creationism, they both operate ultimately at the same question, a faith proposition that you just believe that something happened. All right. So when we come to this text and he says, I am, he is answering that philosophical, scientific question, before anything exists, I am. The fact that anything is here at all is because I am. He is the uncaused causer, uh, the unmoved mover. And so one of the things that after, I remember thinking as a child, and every children probably will think this at some point, uh, well, how is it that something can be forever? Who made God? You ever had your child ask you that yet? If they haven't, they probably will now. <laughs> Who made God? Why do we ask that? Because it staggers our thinking. How can something just be? And every wise person that knows the word of God would say this, nobody made God. That's what makes him God. <laughs> 
God simply is. He always was. There was never a time when God was not. So that's why in John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was God. I love that. In the be- when, when everything began, there was already a past tense. <laughs> How can that be? Because God was there before time. So in the beginning was God. So the, another thing is we think about that God being self-existent, what does that mean? Well, God's absolute being means that God will never end. He did not come into a being, so he cannot go out of being. Because he is and forever will be. There's no place to go outside of his being. There is only he. Before he creates, that's all that is. God. All right? So this is part of what it means to be God. If there was something before God, then God couldn't be God. What else does this mean? That means if God is the absolute being, he's also absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. All right, so we've got to comprehend and think about this, that if it exists, it's because God has willed it. He is the absolute reality. He is all that was eternal. There is no space. There is no universe. There is no emptiness. Only God. Absolutely, absolutely all. So one of the things that's fascinating is as we get into science, we look into the universes, and we think it takes billions of light years to get to the ends of these places of the universe that we see. Why did God make it so big? Because he could. <laughs> and when we see the vastness of space, it lets us know God is greater still. Just study how big universes are. And it staggers your thinking, and you're left with this conclusion of, I am just a speck. And God is bigger still than all these things. As we keep on looking at this, he says, I am has sent me too. Notice verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever." What does this tell me? God is unchanging. God is unchanging. This this Elohim, this is, you know, when Isaac was here, when Abraham was here, when Jacob was here, I was still the same one. I have not changed in all these. So remember what Abraham learned about God. He learned that Jehovah, that's Yahweh, is also Jireh, the God who provides. We learn about God, the El Oim, the Eternal One, that there is also God, El Roy, the God who sees, the God Almighty, the El Shaddai. All these come about in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's days. Is when you learn about these things, remember, I am the same one. I am always the same. I am forever. My memorial is to all generations. God is unchanging. So what does that mean, that God is uh, unchanging? What does it mean that God is self-existent? Well, a couple other thoughts to consider with this is that, well, he's utterly independent. Utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring into being what he chooses. There is no support cause, support group, or support beings for God. He doesn't take counsel with them. There is no need. He is absolute 
So what else does this mean? Well, it means that, well, God's absolute being means that rather than everything that is not dependent, that is not that, that everything that is not God depends totally on God. So even godless forces, Satan, is dependent on God. Now that will stagger your thinking for a little bit. Satan, contrary to what he wants and desires, still is dependent on God. You can profess and believe and hate God all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that you just breathed his air. We're utterly dependent on God. All that is not God is secondary and dependent. The entire universe, as vast and great as it is, is still utterly dependent on God. They're secondary. God is primary. We keep on reading. And then he says, well... Moses is saying, well, who should I say is sending me? Well, he says, just tell him, I am, has sent me to you. You see that in verse 14. I am. In other words, fill in the blank. I am, you just fill in the blank. What does this tell us? God is not only self-existent, not only is he unchanging, God is unlimited. He's unlimited. You know, one of the things that's popular nowadays is in scholarly circles, they're trying to figure out why it is that bad things happen, yet God still knows all these things. And some of the people are coming to this conclusion, well, maybe God doesn't really know everything. Maybe he is evolving also. And so he's kind of adapting and adjusting to things as it comes. He, he realizes that his creation makes this decision. And so God is also progressing and they try to use this to try to defend how it is that 9-11 can occur, uh, or earthquakes and other things can occur, and yet God still be all-knowing. And it doesn't fathom on, on them that God might still have purposes that are beyond what any human can comprehend. This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible simply teaches God is self-existence. He is unlimited. He is unchanging. He's not progressing with us. So what does this mean? Well, consider, what's, what's he telling Moses to do? I want you to go and rescue my people. Bring them back. Sounds simple enough until Moses goes to Egypt and realizes, oh, there's about a million of you? And we've got to go where? And for how long? <clears throat> Through what? A desert? So let's just kind of take this to a little bit pragmatic level here. They had to be fed. Conservative estimates is about three and a half million of them when you include the children and, and, and everyone else. Do you know how much food it would take to feed three and a half million people for one meal? According to U.S. Army's Quartermaster General, Moses needed 1,500 tons of food a day. Filling two freight trains, each a mile long, a day. Well, then you got to cook this food. you got to stay warm, and you're in the desert. So cooking, that would take 4,000 tons of firewood, which were a few more freight trains, each a mile long. That's for one day. 
How long were they in the wilderness? According to Scripture, 40 years. 40 years. Uh, and then, you know, water. You can't forget water. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, not bathing, it would take 11 million gallons each day. Enough to fill a train of tanker cars 1,800 miles long. <laughs> Starting to come in to grasp a little bit. So when Moses says, just tell them I am, sent me. He's saying, it's enough. It's enough. When the I am gives you authority, it is a check that has no limit to its funds and taking care of what needs to be taken care of. And that's what Moses is counting on. And, you know, just crossing the Red Sea. They had to cross the Red Sea in one night. Now, if they wanted a narrow path, double path, double file, that line would be 800 miles long and require 35 days and nights to complete the crossing. So to get over it in one night, there had to be a space in the Red Sea three miles wide so they could walk 5,000 abreast. Just think about the logistics. We don't think about that so often because God took care of it, and that's how it's meant to be. God took care of it. If Moses, after having this encounter with the burning bush, started sitting down and thinking about the logistics, how we're going to get this done, there's no way. He didn't focus on all that. He focused on the one who sent him, the I am, the unlimited one. So what does that mean for us? Well, no matter what we face, it's as nothing compared to God. No matter what we face, it's as nothing because God is unlimited. There is no reason for fear if, as Scripture says, I am with you. So consider that. God's absolute being means that God is constant, that if he is this way for Moses, he's going to be that way for us today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because absolute perfection cannot be changed. Right? It cannot be improved upon. God's absolute being means that he is the absolute standard of truth and goodness. You want to know what right and wrong is? You look to God. When God created the world, and he looked at the sun, moon, stars, the animals, what was the statement he said? It was good. What made it good? God did it. It flowed from him, and it met the purposes of which he intended it. But then he saw Adam, and it was not good. Why? Because it didn't flow or didn't fit who God was. God is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was community in God. And here man was and had no community. Therefore, it was no longer consistent with who God was. And so God made a woman to complete the image of God, of the community. See, good becomes good only if it fits who God is. So you remember when the young man came to Jesus and said, good teacher, and Jesus responded, why do you call me good? There is only one good. So we've got to 
redefine what good is. And so when God says that he is working together to create a good plan for us, it is to say it is good because it matches us with the image of God. And God's working to conform us to his son's image. And so this is the definition of what good is. So sometimes when people start throwing things around, well, God's not good, to ask, well, what makes it good to begin with? How do you know what good is? He is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. He's the standard of what is right. God's absolute being means that God does whatever he pleases and is always right. And in fact, the most valuable person in the universe. He gets the MVP award. Not Cam Newton. God is the MVP of all that is. Because without him, nothing exists. And so one of the craziest things is when we say to God, God, this isn't fair. One of the craziest things, the most insane things we can say is, God, this is not good. We, the finite beings, say to the ultimate reality who defines what good is and saying, God, you're not good. This plan isn't good. This is one of the most insane things, if you believe what the Bible teaches, of where good comes from. What does this mean? My name is I am. It's been said, one who was regretting the past and fearful of the future. Suddenly the Lord was speaking, my name is I am. He paused and I waited. He continued, when you live in the past with this mistakes and regrets, it is hard. I'm not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with this problems and fears, it is hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in the moment, it's not hard. I am here. My name is I am. So when we walk out and we see that sun, and thank God the sun came up again, as the Bible said it would, it is a reminder of the constant God. Not a God who's changing and evolving. It is a reminder of the one who is the source of all things around us being here. And when life comes, Our Abrahams die, our Isaacs die, our Jacobs die, our Billy Wrights die, and our Olivias are born. It is the same God. Sometimes I'm fearful for the future in America, and I wonder what kind of country my children will grow and live and have their children in, as my grandfather worried about the same for me. And you've probably done the same if you've got any years to you. But don't be so afraid of what the country will be. Because we have every promise that God will be who he said he would be. And he will not change. And our children are not to trust in the civics of America. Or the society of what is regarded as right and wrong. That will not be their hope. Their hope will be the same ones our grandfathers trusted in and the great-grandfathers before that. The same ones that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Tell them not about your great America. Tell them about our great God who will be there for them if they will trust in Him. And tell them you can find out about Him in the Bible. 
is given right there. The greatest thing you can do is tell your children or grandchildren, anyone around who will listen to you, about who your God is, who you trust in, and how they come from scriptures and reveal to us things we could not know. Let's thank God for this one who will be constant and the source of all that is. Let's pray.